Hello, and welcome to the Deep Overstock Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Saniago, and this week we have a special episode celebrating the release of Deep Overstock Issue 14, Magic. We'll hear work by Kate Falvey, KB Thomas, Hibas Shapkez, Nicholas Yandel, and Bothan Groza. Our first piece is Green Ghost Remembers by Kate Falvey. Kate Falvey's work has been published in an eclectic array of journals and anthologies, including the mysteries issue of Deep Overstock and a full-length collection, The Language of Little Girls, David Robert Books, and in two chapbooks. She edits the Two Bridges Review, published through City Tech Cooney, where she teaches and is an associate editor for the Bellevue Literary Review. Now, Here's Green Ghost Remembers by Kate Falvey, read by Robert Eversman. Green Ghost Remembers, The Death of the Wizard I skulk around the gemmy corners of the emerald mausoleum and sift the twinkling dirt through the veil of my unnatural hand, as if memories of sentience were enough for me to hold the insubstantial grandeur of our lofty an unseemly dreaming. Never was I bold enough to challenge his dominion. All the brilliant green has gone with his demise, leaving smears of gaseous sheen on stony faces and stone-faced pediments, on avenues and temperaments, on makeshift palaces and shifty feckless eyes. When he plummeted to earth the second time, his luck cracked into a trillion feeble facets. The glare of his bedeviled shattered might flared through our conundrum of a world leaving a muddy, mangled corpse and the aching dust of our belief in reanimating magic. We buried him with pomp and spectacle befitting all his vainglory and our unveiling need for ritual enchantment. Then the light became translucent and then bleary, like a cheap and transient midway or an after-hours arcade, as if the bill for our electricity was never fully paid. And so I haunt with glazy green confusion the minds of Oz's children. I was a palace maid before the palace sputtered out. My dust mop glitters and my apron strings trail sparks. Even then I knew the bargain for this temporary emerald was stuck between his vision and the unremitting dark. Our next piece, Grey Hair, by Hibal Shapkez. Hibal Shapkez is a writer of the Half-Yo Literary Edition, an erratic language learning enthusiast and a happily eccentric blogger from Lahore, Pakistan, studying life, languages, and literature from a comparative perspective across linguistic and cultural boundaries holds a particular fascination for her. Follow her on Linktree at linktree.ee slash Hibashapkez. Now, here's Grey Hair by Hibashapkez. Grey Hair by Hibashapkez. Each gray hair I grow has powers unknown to all but the torchlight that never blinked in the storm that unlit our beacons, thrown into darkness by the ardour that winked and sputtered hope, all the while that serene, stolid dew of trapped and vapid light stared on, through the thunder, at the drowning green, faces and porches standing almost bare of their ramparts of privilege. 
but there we raise gold grace to the ranks of the hiss of log fires of candles need to care for us. Do we forget to treasure this? Better to feign and mourn a love unfelt and sneak secretless into a sphinx's bed. Next, Wrestling with Magic by Nicholas Yandel. Nicholas Yandel is a composer who sometimes creates with words instead of sound. In those cases, he usually ends up with fiction and occasionally poetry. He has a website where he displays his creations. It's nicholasyandel.com. Now, here's Wrestling with Magic by Nicholas Yandel. Wrestling with Magic. Number one, an inquiry. Is magic the physical manifestation of imagination? The power to plunge into fantasies and never have to leave? Make life more like dreams or bouts of creativity? Freeing the luster of stories from material possibilities? Taking reality in whatever direction we might see it go? Is it something we see? Something we do? Something we feel? Some mystical force interacting concretely, molding impossible unknowns into the tangible and relevant? Do we really have to know what magic is to bask in its benefits? Or is it best experienced by those who acknowledge that the power of magic may lie in its mystery? Number two, an encounter. When I've encountered magic, it's never some display of sparks or smoke or dust or flame. It's just a stretching of my understanding of what reality actually is. It doesn't have to be a drastic departure, just a hair outside the realm of possibility, a happening that can't be explained away successfully, leaving one exposed to the mist of the irrational, watering the spinning seeds, taking root in the cracks of an existential foundation. Number three, a journey into the void. I'm unwilling to fully embrace reality. I won't acknowledge solely what my senses register. From outside possibilities in art and creativity and dreams dragging me to places I've never known through open doors to rooms denying rationality and restoring the wonders of belief. I can't embrace a limited view any longer. Abandoning unknowns just isn't feasible when my ambition is so much more defined than any explanation of actuality. If there's magic in the void, I want to find it. So go ahead, just leave me, clinging to fantasies, living enchanted possibilities, and straddling the edge of imagination. I'm happiest here. Now, here's Recipe for Disaster by Bogdan Groza. Bogdan Groza was born in Romania and now lives in Italy. He has a master's degree in European, American, and post-colonial language and literature from the faculty of Padua and recently published his first book, Athena. Now, here's Recipe for Disaster by Bogdan Groza. Let us start with the fundamentals. The first thing that you will need is an alchemic circle for there. The essence of truth converges and through it everything flows. Bear in mind that not just any circle will suffice. 
you will have to confine within it a square, each point of its angles touching the circumference. These lines shall be traced with the ash that will be willingly provided by a phoenix upon its molting. Within this circle you shall place a vessel made out of intertwined viridian leaves from the tree of eels. Hence, you shall add a liquid basis. It must be the purest of morning dews that may be recovered only from within the frail buds of snowdrops. Now it is time to add the other quintessential ingredients. First and foremost, a pinch of infinity, but no more than that, for even a speck more would lead to dire consequences. Then, mix in two grains of sand from the hourglass of eternity. This is important. One grain shall be taken from the top, from the time that is yet to come, and one from the bottom, from the sand that has already completed its journey. I am sure that eternity, in its vast magnanimity, will not mind sharing. Start to stir gently in a helical pattern by using a perfectly smooth and straight branch from the world tree. You will need to carefully put in a dash of the silence found at the abyssal ferment and a touch of noise from the first great explosion. As that from the second one, just won't do. Continue to mix the elixir as you do not want it to run rampant. Trust me on this. The glimmer obtained through a kaleidoscope of diamonds will give the compound the spark that we need. We are slowly getting there. Now add an apple. Once all this is done, you shall place four flakes of incandescent magma taken from the very core of the world, one on each of the corners of the square that you have previously traced. These specks of molten rock that would otherwise have only destructive properties, will make the contents of the vessel boil and the gentle vapor will start to fall. Now you will need to transmogrify said vapor, else it will become a malicious miasma and that would be vexing indeed. To do so you shall cool it with the breeze that flows beyond the limits of the zenith, the one that caresses the cerulean stars and alabaster constellations. If you have followed these instructions correctly, then the condensed vapor will finally take the form of a delicate creature. The components that were used will be imbued in it. I am very fond of this creation, and think I shall call it... hmm... a human being. I. One of the ten sages of law, kindred to eternity and bound truth, and hear my notes. I fear I must, however, forewarn my dearest colleagues, if even one step of this procedure is forlorn, if any component is shewed or not of the purity required, the end result could be catastrophic. This creature, this human has the ability to surpass our expectations and even ourselves, but only if made as I have engraved here. I am unwavering in thinking that tampering with this formula would only lead to a situation we would be unable to face. And then tonight's reading is Surprising Things by K.B. Thomas. K.B. Thomas has been a book lover and bookseller since dinosaurs roamed 112th the Earth. She works, writes, and walks her dog in Portland, Oregon. 
find more fiction at kbthomas.net. Now, here's Surprising Things by KB Thomas, read by ZB Wagman. It was spring when Mrs. Povelich went down to her husband's workshop in the basement and hammered together a sign declaring, Palms Red. Elena, said her husband Morris, as he watched her struggle up the steps, plywood board in tow. Where are you going with that? To the front yard. Open the door for me, please, she said, and he obediently held the door open and watched as she planted the sign in the half-thawed ground. It tilted lazily to one side, but Mrs. Povelich seemed satisfied. Morris, where are our lawn chairs? What lawn chairs? asked Mr. Povelich, who had last seen the chairs in question some fifteen years before, when their boys had been small and liked to run through the sprinkler in shorts, before puberty, before sports, and cars, and girls. Mrs. Povelich shook her head and brushed by him, hammer dangling lightly from her fingers. We never had any long chairs, said her son Tony, who was busy lifting barbells in a corner of the living room. What do you know about it? asked Mr. Povelich. Put down those weights and go take your mother's sign out of the yard. Palms red. What does Yelena Povelich know about reading anyone's palms? He shouted. Mrs. Povelich came up from the basement with two lawn chairs in her grip. I want something done in this house. I do it myself. She unfolded the chair's aluminum frames, dusted at them with a dish towel, and waited for her first customer. My grandmother learned from her grandmother, Yelena Povelich told the woman who had sat uncomfortably in the lawn chair next to her own. There's no telling how far back this tradition goes. Doris Kuchek listened intently, strips of plastic weave suffering under her weight. She'd seen through the slats of her blinds the bonny figure of Tony Povelich pulling what looked like a sign from in front of the house and watched as Mrs. Povelich patiently hammered the sign back into place. They're moving, thought Mrs. Kuchek, and she slipped a scarf over her hair and walked across the street to see for herself. This is a tradition? asked Mrs. Kuchek putting lawn chairs in front of a house and offering to tell the future? One great-grandmother sold love potions to a young woman in Bulgaria. The potions were made of frog parts and crushed bodies of spiders, Mrs. Povelich said matter-of-factly. I only came over because I thought you were moving, Mrs. Kuchek said. I saw the sign in the yard. My own grandmother taught me some of what she knew, continued Mrs. Povelich. Give me your hands, Doris. I'll read them. Mrs. Kuchek held her hands tightly in her lap. I just wanted to know why you were moving. Gently, Mrs. Povelich took Mrs. Kuchek's hand and held them in her own. Do not resist, Doris. Do not be afraid. But what if I don't want to know the future? Not even a little bit? asked Mrs. Povelich, smiling. Well, maybe a little. But what if it's something horrible? Mrs. Povelich closed her eyes and spoke in a strong voice. At six o'clock, my son Tony will take a shower and use up all the hot water. My other son Andre and his wife Katya are coming for dinner with us. Andre will eat all the rolls and Katya will refuse everything except a piece of lettuce and three glasses of wine. She'll offer to help with the dishes, but I'll be afraid to let her handle the glassware. Besides, there won't be any hot water. Morris will fall asleep in his chair watching the ten o'clock news. That's my future, Doris. How could yours be any worse? Challenged, Doris Kuchek gave in. Do you charge for this? 
This isn't as difficult as a love potion, Mrs. Povelich explained, unfolding Mrs. Kuchek's hands and tracing the creases with a fingertip. There are no smelly toadstools to boil or blood to mix with bone. For you, Doris, the first one is free. That night at the dinner table, Mr. Povelich advised his family, Whatever you do, don't encourage her. His wife was in the kitchen. I don't think it's serious yet, but maybe if we don't talk about it, she'll forget. Women sometimes go a little nuts when they're older. He couldn't bring himself to say the word menopause, not in front of his daughter-in-law. Not serious? exclaimed Andre, piling his plate high with rolls. My mother starts behaving like a gypsy, and you don't think it's serious? I'm not behaving like a gypsy! I'm not behaving like a gypsy! yelled Mrs. Povelich from the kitchen. Gypsies ride around in wagons and have gold teeth. She's sure impressed Mrs. Kuchek, Tony informed them. Mrs. Kuchek, now she's done it. There'll be a line of women out there tomorrow waiting to have their fortunes told, Andre prophesied. We could make a fortune from this, Tony divined. Mr. Profilich, stricken by the tragedy that had befallen his family, did not speak again that evening. After dinner, he retired to his chair in front of the TV, where he was destined to fall fast asleep. He dreamed of expensive gynecologists, of Jungian analysts, of naturopaths in white lab coats, all of whom told him that for what ailed Yelena Provilich, they could find no cure. Katya visited the next day. Mother Povelich, she implored, won't you please tell my fortune? My grandmother used to sell love potions to the young girls in Romania, began Mrs. Povelich, but they never sold one to their own families. They weren't up to robbing their relatives, is that it? shouted Mo Mr. Povelich from the other room, or poisoning them with crushed frogs? His wife ignored him. Some people are foolish and let love take them where it will, she said to Katya. Some are foolish and never let love take them anywhere at all. Do any men ask to have their palms read? Don't encourage her, instructed Mo Mr. Provilich from the depths of his chair. She'll forget all about this. Oh, man, said Mrs. Provilich with a dis decisive wave of a hand. They'd rather not know the future. They don't have the resistenza. The strength. Now you speak Romanian, yelled Mr. Povelich. Men make the future. We don't need you to tell us what's going to happen. Sighing, Yelena Povelich took Katya's right hand in her own. Daughters, my darling, you are going to have six lovely daughters, and they will be the light of your long life. Oh, Mother Povelich, is that what you foresee? asked Katya. No, my sweet. It is what I hope for. This is the last fortune I shall tell, said Mrs. Bovelich a week later. Doris Kuchek sat with her at the dining room teller. The last? Why, Elena? when there is so much more waiting to be told? Coffee, Doris? Mrs. Povelich poured from the percolator. Cream? When did you decide this? asked Mrs. Kuchek, determined. Nothing so exciting as a fortune teller on her own block had happened before, and such occurrences are not let go of easily. My grandmother knew when it was time to stop. Wars, famines, plague could not keep them from practicing their art. But when the time comes, there's no getting around it. 
I noticed the sign was missing from the front yard, confessed Mrs. Kuchak. That's why I came over. Give me your hands, Doris. Yelena Povilich peered deeply into the lines decorating Doris Kuchak's palms. I am not an entertainer here to amuse, she said. I could tell you things you don't want to hear. Things you don't want to know about and will hate when they happen. Mrs. Kuchek squirmed in her seat. I distinctly remember that I left the oven on at home. And the iron. You came to hear pretty stories about handsome men and new cars. Air conditioning and all-wheel drive. What, what do I care for a new car? Asked Mrs. Kuchek, aghast, because a new car was her dream. Red exterior paint and leather seats. You just want to hear about your husband's future accident, and how much you'll get from the insurance ruling, continued Mrs. Povlich. You want to know when the airlines are going to reduce their rates, and what number you should choose in the lottery. You could tell me the number? Mrs. Povlich tossed her head like a coquette. Of course I could. Easy trick, mind you. My own mother told me how. She used to whisper such things when I was little. Would you tell me? breathed Mrs. Kuchek, hardly daring to ask. Just one teeny number. You won't be satisfied with one number, and week after week you'll be on my doorstep asking for more, for bigger and better numbers. I won't, I promise, pledged Mrs. Kuchek. And so Yelena Povilich, in whose vein flows the blood of women who once sold love potions to the young girls of Bulgaria, and perhaps even Croatia and Kosovo, whispered in the waiting ear a number that, if used correctly, would yield surprising things. This concludes The Pledge, episode one of our special event celebrating the release of our 13th issue of Deep Overstock, Magic. Our theme music is a song Shibuya by Bad Snacks. Join us again next week, and don't forget to submit for our next issue, Shakespeare, before November 30th. Visit deepoverstock.com slash submissions for specific guidelines.